0: If you ask me, why does Heart of Life exist? I would show you something like that video, and then I would tell you. Just like that daughter was reconciled, was reconnected to her earthly father. I would tell you our mission as a church is to join in divinely appointed, orchestrated opportunities to see people all around us reconnected, reconciled to their Heavenly Father. That's what we're about. See, we were all created to know god that's why we're here we were created to love him and to know what it means to be fully loved by him i'm telling you that's why you're breathing that's why you're on the planet and our mission as a church is to share the truth that jesus is the way now i don't want you to misunderstand me We don't connect people to God. But we have the privilege of introducing people to Jesus and he does the connecting. And so my prayer today is that all of you, all of you would know by the time that we're done today, you would know your opportunity to be reconciled to the father that you were made for. And, that once that happens, then all of us would recognize our mission to help others know the same. We have arrived at a place in the book of Acts, chapter 16 is where we are, where there are three different settings that I want to tell you about today. Three different settings where the news of Jesus is shared. And, well, I'll just show you. Anybody looking forward to tonight? Anybody excited about tonight? I know you're still recovering from the video, right? I've watched it like 14 times and I'm still like fighting back. I got to talk after I watch the video. Tonight's going to be so cool. I hope that you're planning to be at the farm celebrating the baptisms. It's going to be a great night. Fireworks. Um, all kinds of cool food. How how can you go wrong with funnel cakes and ice cream and snow cones and nachos and barbecue? I mean, come on, right? Jesus will be there, right? He will be there. So I hope that you'll be there and you're going to bring some people with you. Here's the first story. Here's the first story. We start in a city called Philippi. Paul, the apostle Paul and some of his fellow missionaries have been directed there by God. And this is what it says in verse 13 of Acts chapter 16. Check this out. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. What do we know about Lydia? Well, we conclude from what we just read, she is what I would define as a successful businesswoman in fashion. That's her realm. Now, we're told that she's from Thyatira, but she's currently in Philippi. Thyatira was a massive port city in the, in the ancient world. And the best way I know how to describe this is you gotta, you got to think New York, think London, think maybe Hong Kong, places, cities that shape the economic force of the world around them. That's what these two cities are like. And Lydia owns a house in both places. She's doing well. She's smart. You get the idea? She works hard. She is a successful businesswoman. But we also read that she's religious. She's religious. She has shown up to this place this moment of prayer with other Jewish women. Now what that means is Lydia somewhere along the way has rejected the whole Roman paganism idea that there are many many gods and she has bought into she sees these Jews are onto something there is one true god. And so we've got this this Morally, I would say conservative lady going to a Bible study on the Sabbath. And just as they're about to put the Beth Moore DVD in, Paul shows up. And Paul unpacks the good news of Jesus, the one who died for them and rose again. And the text says, Lydia's heart was open. Isn't that cool? My question is, who did it say opened her heart? Did Paul open her heart? The Lord opened her heart. She hears this news about Jesus, and the Lord opens her heart. She believes, and she's baptized. So come on, get get the picture of this lady, an extremely successful businesswoman. She is moral, she is religious, she's involved in church, she goes to Bible study on a regular basis, which is more than what some of y'all do, all right? But she is not a follower of Jesus. She's not a follower of Jesus. She's in church but she's not yet a follower of Jesus. There hasn't been a point in her life that that she has come to say, I'm putting my trust in Jesus who died for my sin, and I am entrusting my life to him from this day forward. I want my life to be shaped by following him. She's religious. She's good but she's not connected to Jesus. But in the middle of that circumstance, Jesus meets her right where she is, and he opens the eyes of her heart, and he makes her his family. Isn't that cool? Now, come on. Isn't that some of us? I mean, isn't that kind of the story for some of us? I don't mean that we're women in house, that have two houses in London and Paris and in the fashion industry. I, I mean, isn't that some of us, our story, that some of us were religious? Maybe you always grew up in church. You were, you were morally good, especially compared to the people around you that, that you could com- make some comparisons to. You were church people maybe maybe you went every week maybe at least it was the christmas and easter but you you at least went and and you were maybe you prayed on a regular basis and if someone would have asked you at that point you would have said yeah I'm a Christian because I go to church and, and, I, and I pray and I'm a good person. But in the middle of that thinking, Jesus showed up in your life and he actually rescued you. He turned the light on to who he was and you turned to him and away from your sin. And from that moment on, you said, I want my life to be defined by following him. Maybe you followed in baptism. Around here, we describe that like putting on the jersey. It's like putting on the jersey of my team that I say, I am a part. That's what baptism is, that picture of identifying with Jesus, a death, a burial, and a resurrection. That's what he's done in me. I'm his. Now, come on, just real quick, because this is nothing to be ashamed of. If that's kind of your story, I'm not asking you to say anything, don't worry. I, I will not do that. But if that's kind of your story, you kind of, like for me, I, I don't ever remember a time that I didn't know that God didn't love me. But there was a moment where Jesus showed me who I was and, my, and I, how I needed him, and that change happened in my life when I truly put my trust in him. If that's your story, like you, you, you were considered, you were a religious person, you were, you were a good person, and Jesus showed up in the middle of that. Would you just, I'm just curious across the room. Any hands would go up to go, that, that's kind of my story. That's how, I, that's how I grew up. Come on, leave them up for a second. Leave them up for a second. Yeah, look, look across the room. Yeah, it, it, that's beautiful, isn't it? That's beautiful. Some of that has to do with, with parents sometimes who guided you in that direction and kept you from having to, to walk through a bunch of junk in your life, right? but we, we are grateful because just because we're religious and good, we're still disconnected from Jesus and it takes him showing up and opening our heart to see the truth of who he is. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Let me tell you a second story. Let's skip to verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer. seems like a lot of stuff happens to Paul on the way to church, doesn't it? Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Hmm. So you mean like she's a psychic? Mm Mm-hmm. Jeff, do you really believe that stuff? Mm Mm-hmm. You really believe, like, there are psychics that, like, talk to, like, beyond? Yes, I do. I just don't believe they're usually talking to who they think they're talking to. I don't. But I believe it's real. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. I go, okay, that's cool. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul, this cracks me up, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Now the picture is, the words she was saying was accurate, right? But the fact is, she's mocking them. And so she's just chasing them around, and everywhere Paul's trying to declare, she's just keeping saying the same thing over and over again. It's like an echo in the background, and it is becoming a distraction. And it says Paul, he gets just, he's fed up with it. I love the fact it actually says annoyed. I love that. In that real life, come on, can you be in the middle of Jesus' will and get annoyed? Apparently. Thank goodness, right? You hoped so. Yeah, he's annoyed, and so he just turns, and he cast out the demon, and it left. Now, we're not given a bunch of other details about what happens to her from there. Like, we're not told about her baptism like we are some of the others. And uh, So the question remains, is she a Jesus follower? It's like, is she a Christian? Is she a Jesus follower? And you might answer that by saying, well, yeah, because in the name of Jesus, you know, the demons were cast out, at which point, I would remind you to check out a place in Matthew where Jesus really one day explained how all that happens, and he said it this way. He said, a demon can be cast out, and that demon looks for a place to land, but when it finds no place to land, it returns to the original house, being the person, and when that demon finds that person now clean and swept clean. It, it, it's all in order. That evil spirit brings seven other more evil spirits with it and they all invade the house and it's worse than when it started. In other words, Jesus said it's not enough just to clean house. The biggest question is who now occupies the house? And when Jesus occupies the house, nobody else gets to occupy the house. Demons go, Jesus enters, demons don't come back. That's the way it works. But demons go, Jesus doesn't enter, demons have full realm to the house still. Now I'm saying that in this story, Her owners, it says, they realize that the spirits are gone and there's no more chance for her to make money. I'm saying that all that really leads me to believe. It sounds like somebody's moved into the house being Jesus because these demons aren't coming back. Now... If I asked the same question that I asked a few minutes ago, but changed the scenario and said, how many of you at one time were demon-possessed fortune-teller slaves, there might be a few. it would explain some things, wouldn't it? But if I actually rephrased it to get to the heart of what's going on in this lady, I mean, don't you often wonder? a scenario like this, it like, was it her own decisions or was she forced in some directions that would lead her to so give her heart over to a level of wickedness and depravity that now is just destroying her from the inside out? I got to tell you, I love that this girl's story is right after Lydia. You got to love that. Because here's Lydia. I mean, we get the picture. She's, she just seems like she's so put together, and she's, she's driven, and she's probably wealthy. I mean, she's successful. She's well-known, well-respected. She's religious. And Jesus steps right into the middle of all that and says, you understand, all of this is not what you were made for. You were made to be connected to your heavenly father. And then right after it, you got this girl completely broken, taken advantage of, abused, and Jesus steps right into the middle of that mess and saves her. See some of y'all a minute ago were looking at the Lydia's in the room and you're like, okay, that's really nice, but my story is that Jesus found me in a place that was a lot darker than a first century Beth Moore Bible study. Maybe Jesus found you in the messiness of drugs or alcohol. Maybe Jesus showed up for you in the the middle of, of the messiness of sexual brokenness where you were treating yourself with little value. See, for some of us, God met us in the middle of some of the darkest things that can be imagined. And when we hear about Jesus stepping into this dark place with this lady, we say, that's where he found me. That's where he found me. Jesus showed up in the middle of my addiction. Jesus showed up in the middle of my despair. He shows up in the middle of my darkness. He stepped in and he bought me back. Anybody with such a beautiful story that you wouldn't be ashamed today to say that's my story. That's where Jesus showed up. Come on, come on. How good is that? How cool is that? That's what Jesus does. That's what he does. I got one more for you. Verse 22. We're told now that the owners of the slave girl are upset, right? They're upset because they've now just lost their source of money. Well, now they're not the only ones that are upset because in verse 22, it says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, let me define a few things for you. When you see the word flogged, it's a funny word, but there's nothing funny about it. And the best way I know how to describe this is usually to say, have you ever seen the passion of the Christ? And what they do to Jesus before they nail him to a cross is what it means to be flogged. It is no small matter. It says they put him in the inner cell. In an ancient Roman prison, the inner cell would be lower than everything else in the prison. And I'll just frame it this way. You understand everything flows downhill. Everything flows downhill. Stocks mean that your body is being forced into a position that you don't want to be in. Often what is not natural to be in. So here's the picture. Paul and Silas are sitting in this inner cell. They are sitting probably in waste. Their body being stretched in ways that far from comfortable, especially after being beaten. And it's clear that the jailer didn't do that by specific order. He did that by desire. He's just told to put him in prison. Now, we know from the study of Acts, if you've been reading your Bible, if you want an earthquake to happen in your town, just put an apostle in prison. Right? Earthquake will happen. And we're gonna see some stuff happen here in a minute, but here's what I want you to get. In in Roman cities um, like Philippi, jailers were usually highly decorated Roman soldiers who sort of as a gift of retirement from the front lines. They fought long enough, they have done their job well, they now would be given the gift of overseeing a prison. They would become a jailer. Now if you were connected to the Roman regime, the word brutal is the best word I got. There's nothing sweet about it. There are stories of the Romans at times crucifying up to 20,000 people at a time. They would put them on crosses sometimes on walls, and they would just line the roads headed into a particular city. And for miles, you would see people crucified. I'm saying, okay, I'm not, I don't know exactly all that this jailer has seen. And I don't know exactly everything that he's been a part of, but typically, to get where he's at, Let's just say he's seen things more grotesque than most of us could even imagine. And as is often the case, when a soldier sees such things, there is an effect. We have fancy letters and terms to describe it in our day post-traumatic stress disorder. But the picture is sometimes you just can't get the stuff out of your head that you wish you could get out of your head. You can't stop seeing what you've seen and maybe even what you've done. And what takes over can be a bitterness and an anger. And a tendency to violence because of all that. And I'm saying when you look at how this jailer responds, he was simply told, put him in prison. What does he do? He sticks him in the inner cell where the waste of all that prison would be just flowing down on top of them. He he puts him in stocks. I mean, he makes it as uncomfortable as he possibly can. It's like you can just see a a bitterness and an anger perhaps that, that it's in this guy's heart, and in the middle of that, steps Jesus. Check it out. Verse 27. Oh, Paul and Silas have been singing. They've been praying and singing. At midnight, by the way. They're praying and singing in prison, and the Bible says that the the prisoners were listening to them. And then it happens. Jailhouse rock. (laughs) The foundations rock. We're told that the prison doors swing open and even the chains fall off the prisoners. Now, come on. If it's like, well, it was just an earthquake and, and when an earthquake happens and buildings rumble, then doors fly open. Yes, they do, but chains don't fall off, do they? God opened the doors, and God loosened the chains. And we pick it up in verse 27. It says, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. He immediately, then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole house. Anybody know? What it's like to live in a bunch of bitterness and anger anybody know what it's like to sometimes see things to experience things some of them perhaps because it was a, a willing part for you sometimes not a willing part but you don't want to own it in any way and the result is an anger and a bitterness that grows and yet God stepped right into the middle of all of that and saved this man out of anger, out of aggression, out of bitterness. I so love this picture. Come on, get it. Here's a guy who's filled with bitterness and anger, so much so that he now aims that bitterness and anger at at the people of God. But in this moment, you understand God could have sent the earthquake and swallowed him up, right? God could have just let Paul stay silent and let the man take his own life. He's going to commit suicide because he has failed at his job. This is what defines him. He knows there are consequences to that failure. Yet Paul, the guy who had been tortured by him, would not let him kill himself. That is the grace of God that invades the darkest of places in this world, that when people get to a point that they say there is no more hope, Jesus steps in and says, nope, you're mine. That's his grace. I'm going to ask it. anybody got a story. Where bitterness and anger were apart, And Jesus stepped in. Anybody? It's a tough one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he stepped in. Look, not only have many of us been rescued from such places, but most of us still know people in such places. Anybody know some Lydias? They're in your family, they're friends, you work with them, they're really good people. Sometimes it ticks you off because they seem better than you. They're good people, they act nice, they really do, they help folks. They're church people like they, they attend, but you know they have never, ever actually been connected to Jesus. There has never been a point where they surrender their life to Him. You know some people enslaved? Yeah. It can be addictions, depression. I mean, just people who who so enslaved, who need to know a Jesus who who, who loves them. You, you know the jailers, you know the people who, who you can just see it, the bitterness and the anger. Listen to me. God has put you here for them. He paid a price to buy you back out of that slavery. He rescues you out of those places and then he makes you an ambassador for him and he sends you right back in. Maybe some of you are feeling like you know you're a little schizophrenic today because you're you're like a hybrid, like well I got a little Lydia and there's a little bit of the jailer because I'm angry sometimes and, and, and then and I kind of got and I'm saying okay, okay I'm not trying to put everybody in 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 such defined I, I, it really doesn't matter we're all sheep the Bible says. Who have wandered away, and the Good Shepherd came after us. He is the God who seeks and he finds. And no matter where you are in these stories, you understand you're like the guy laying outside that window in that video. disconnected from the one that you were made for. But there is a God who seeks and he saves, and how how amazing is it that he is a God who lines up a day like today. He shows up where you are physically. But he also shows up where you are spiritually. And he knows the darkness. And he still shows up. How about that? He knows the brokenness in you, and he still shows up. He knows your rebellion, and he still shows up. It's because we sang it a little bit ago. It's a love that never fails, right? It's a love that just won't stop. It is a love that is relentless. That is the God who shows up in our mess. He shows up in our brokenness. He he shows up in our darkness. He meets you where you are, and then he tells you the truth about who you are. and you are who I am, we are sinners, and we know we've done wrong. We feel the shame, we feel the guilt, and it is not that we have just done wrong either toward ourselves or toward someone else, but, but we know that we have rebelled against God, and he who is he's holy, he's perfect, and, and, and I am not, and therefore there is this barrier, there is this gap, but the good news of Jesus covers the truth about me. What I mean by that is the truth that I'm a, is I'm a sinner, but the good news is Jesus took my place on a cross. What should have been my penalty, he took it. He became my substitute, the wrath of God that should have been poured out on me. It was poured out on him. He took my place. He took my sin. He died for me, was buried, and on the third day arose. And he's still showing up in places saying, you're mine. Hope's not gone. You're mine. You haven't gone too far. You're mine. I know you think your sin is great, but it is not greater than my sacrifice. I'm saying, what if today is your day? And it's like you're the one laying outside that window, and God just painted the picture. And he's saying, come on. If you've never done that before, today, I'm begging you with everything that I've got, man, turn to him. Say, I don't know how to do that. Well, you just turn. You just say, Jesus, I need you. I know that I've done wrong. There's no question in my, I've I've sinned, I, I need you, and I believe that what you did for me at the cross I'm asking forgiveness. And from this day forward, I want my life to be surrendered to you. I want my life to be defined by what it means to follow you. And then just like these folks in the story, like tonight we're going to baptize some folks. They have taken that step of trusting their life to Jesus and baptism is that first bold step that says I'm identifying with him I am not ashamed just as he died was buried and was raised that's what he's done in me listen to me baptism doesn't forgive your sin baptism doesn't make you right with God baptism doesn't make you a part of God's family you could be baptized 50 times but it's your heart, and once you heart-wise truly have turned to Jesus, then baptism becomes something so incredibly powerful and effective in your life. I'm encouraging you, if you've never taken that step, how cool to know that by the end of today, you could have taken those steps in your life as God has met you here today. In just a second, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing for a little bit to the great God who shows up for us. And while we're singing, some of us are going to be right over here to the side. We would be so honored today just to pray with you. Maybe it's about trusting Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's about a hurt in your life. Maybe it's about some direction that you need from him. We would be so honored. We'd meet you right over here on the side while everybody's singing. It's just a safe place for us to To do what we came to do today is to meet with Him. And so while we're singing, we'll be there. We'd be honored to pray for you, pray with you. There are some of you here today. Jesus met you, you trusted Him, He's rescued you, you're His. But today, there are people in your life that you know who are still laying outside that window. Today, do some battle for them. And then this week, let's go after him. God, I thank you. I thank you for just a most beautiful chapter of the Bible that gives us so, so much, uh, three distinct pictures of, God, what you do every day, meeting us God in the middle of our mess. God, I thank you for all the folks across this room who you have done such a a beautiful story. You you have created that story in them. They have put their trust in you. God, I thank you for all the hands that went up today, all the, the grace. God, all the faith that's represented in that. God, that's you. And today we praise you. But God, I'm also praying for folks who today need to step across that line. And maybe they're good, maybe they're church people, maybe they're successful, but they're disconnected from the one that they were made for. And today, may they see you, may they hear you, may they know that you are here and that you love them. God, I thank you for what you're going to do in these moments. We lift our hearts to praise you, in the name of Jesus, amen.